Our scripture lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 6, page 1347 in the Pew Bible. 1347, Ephesians 6, beginning at verse uh, 10 and reading through verse 20 with particular attention to verses, uh, verse 18 and 19 where he asks, uh, commands prayer and asks for prayer for himself. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all, all, taking the shield of faith with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that it that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And then in conjunction with that, I turn your attention to the Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Trinity Psalter Hymnal, page 893, in the bottom of the second column, Lord's Day 45, page Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. How does God want us to pray that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other and the one true God, who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayers because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord taught us. What is this prayer? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Beloved of the Lord, Satan does not want you to pray. Satan does not want you to pray. And he uses a number of arguments to try to convince you to give up on prayer. He might, for example, point you to the very Word of God that says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying. In another place, the, uh, Paul says, pray continually or pray without ceasing. Satan will point to those texts and say, that's impossible. Nobody can live up to that standard. The bar is too high. You don't, you'll never measure up to that, so why even bother? He wants you to quit in discouragement that, that you'll never be able to pray the way you ought to pray. And it makes you discouraged about your prayer life and in discouragement, uh, quit your prayer life. Or, he'll, uh, uh, he'll try to point you again to another truth of Scripture that, uh, which Scripture himself says that, that God already knows everything you need. And God has promised to give us all that we need. Having not withheld His Son, will He not with also with Him graciously give us all things? If God knows what we need and He's promised to give us everything, why do we need to pray? You don't need to pray. God's already got that covered. It's all taken care of. And so Satan wants you to stop praying. He wants you to be discouraged about being able to do it and and then make you think it's not even necessary. Or he may, he may point to your own prayer life and say, how many things have you asked for that God never gave you? What good does it do to pray to God if you ask for this and that and, and another thing? And, and it's like he never hears because he never responds. You know, Boys and girls who write letters to Santa Claus maybe have better success record getting what they want from Santa Claus than they do than when they ask God for things. So why bother if God's not going to give us the things that we ask for? Satan doesn't want you to pray. Well, tonight we want to look into this matter of why we ought to pray. Catechism asks that question. Why, why do Christians need to pray? And it gives us basically two answers. And then it goes on also to ask us, uh, how ought we to pray so that God will listen to us? And uh, we want to look into that as well, although uh, uh, this uh, is just the beginning of a subject on prayer. God in His providence in due time will open up the rest of this uh, exposition of the Lord's Prayer uh, to show us uh, how we ought to pray, but we look at some pre- preliminary thoughts uh, this evening. First of all, uh, the Catechism makes clear that we ought to pray because it's our duty to do so. Uh, God requires it of us. The Catechism says, why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important thing, uh, most, most important part of the thankfulness that God requires. God requires it of us. He commands it. We ought to pray because God commands it. And it's, it's very important that we obey His commands. And the Catechism emphasizes that it's, it's the most important part of the, the thankfulness that, that God requires of us. You know, 
in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says that the, the wrath of God is revealed. And that word is is in the present tense, meaning is now being revealed. The wrath of God is now being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What ungodliness? What unrighteousness? He's talking about sexual sins and uh, murder and uh, robbery and lying and cheating and stealing. Well, the first unrighteous and ungodly thing that Paul mentions after saying God's wrath is being revealed is that men don't honor God as God or give thanks to Him. The first thing. The first unrighteousness that that comes to Paul's mind when he says God's wrath is now being revealed is that people don't honor God as God or give thanks to Him. And those aren't two separate things, but the second thing helps explain the first or is the, the key element of the first because when we give thanks to God, we are honoring God as God. Giving thanks is honoring God. It acknowledges Him as the, the source of all things good in creation and in redemption. We thank Him for creating this beautiful world. We thank Him for creating us. We thank Him for making us in His own image and giving us life, breathing into us the breath of life. And we especially thank Him that when we fall into sin, He has compassion on us and He comes to us in our need and He sends the Savior, Jesus Christ, to rescue us as He sent uh, His angel, the angel of the Lord, who is uh, Jesus Christ, to rescue the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. So He brings us out of the bondage of sin. Christ brings us out of the bondage of sin. And so we we thank Him. We thank Him for creating us. We thank Him for redeeming us. And when we, we thank Him, we are honoring Him as our God. And if we're not doing that, then God is angry with us. Thankfulness is a duty. It is required. And it's it's the chief part uh, of, the, of the thankfulness that God requires of us. Some might want to take issue with that and say, uh, prayer, the, the chief part, is, is that the most important thing that we, we owe unto God? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we say, maybe uh, like the Presbyterians do, what is the chief end of man? It's, it's to glorify God. All of worship is, is the, the chief part of what we owe to God. Uh, we ought to just worship Him. Well, Worship and prayer are intimately uh, interconnected. The temple was a place of worship, the God-ordained place of worship. And what did Jesus call the temple? He called it a house of prayer. A house of prayer. The place of worship is the, the house of prayer. You know, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 we read that uh, at that time men first began to call upon the name of the Lord. That expression, call upon the name of the Lord, is a a reference to to prayer. But in the context there, it's clear that it's not just prayer that they started to do, but it's the beginning of corporate worship. And here, calling on the name of the Lord is a, a synecdoche. Uh, I've, I've never used that word in a sermon before, but Dr. Beakey gave me uh, courage to, to use that word. He used it last week and uh, explained it a little bit. Uh, in case you don't remember what a synecdoche is, uh, he passed over it a little quickly. But it's, 
It's using part of something to represent the whole. Uh, Common examples of uh, synecdoche might be, uh, for example, this coming Wednesday night when we have the uh, church picnic, you're invited to bring uh, an antique car if you have one. And you might uh, come and and look at the antique car and if the owner is there, you say to him, my, that's a a nice set of wheels. Well, It's not just the wheels, not just the tires and the rims that you're admiring. Uh, The phrase, nice set of wheels, refers to the whole car. Or if... uh, if I wanted to, to move that uh, communion table down to the, the, the floor there to uh, put it where we, we use it when we have communion, I might say to some of you, would you lend me a hand? And of course, it's not just your hand I want. It's the muscles in your legs and the muscles in your back and the muscles in your arm. But the hand is, is the chief thing because that's what grabs onto the table. Uh, you, Some of you who know Shakespeare may uh, know that uh, speech of uh, Brutus, you know, Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Did he want to borrow their ears? No, he wanted them to listen and process in their heads uh, what he was saying. Uh, But the the ears represent the whole. The hands represent the whole person. The wheels represent the whole car. And prayer represents all of worship because it's the chief part of worship. The reason calling on the name of the Lord can be used as a synecdoche of of worship is because it's the chief part of the worship. You know, almost everything that Israel did in the temple was offered up to God and, and brought a message to God. They, they said prayers, they offered up animals, and the, 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 the smoke was a message to God. They burned incense, and the incense was a, a message to God. It was all a kind of prayer. Everything is, is directed up to God to communicate to Him our thanksgiving and our our worship and our praise. And so prayer stands at the heart of worship and indeed is the the chief part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. Uh, The very act of praying acknowledges the the supremacy of God uh, over all creation and that He is the one before whom every knee should bow. Uh, The very act of prayer honors God as the all-sufficient one who upholds all things and gives every creature uh, it's food in its, in its time. Uh, prayer uh, honors God as the omniscient one who, who knows everything and the, uh, uh, the omnipresent one who is able to hear the prayers of everyone in, every, in the world all at one time. It acknowledges Him as the one of perfect wisdom who knows what to do when we uh, come to Him with our problems. Uh, a prayer uh, honors God as uh, the Almighty One who is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. If you are not praying, you are not acknowledging God as God, and you are failing in one of the chief duties of mankind, a failure that brings down the wrath of God even in this life. God's wrath is already being revealed against those who do not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And so if you are not praying, you are not honoring God. And God's wrath hangs over your head like a sword of Damocles. Or uh, to use uh, uh, one of Jonathan Edwards' illustrations, you're uh, uh, precariously uh, balancing over a great uh, abyss and that that abyss is hell and in the slightest wind could knock you over and, and send you plunging into the fullness of God's wrath because you don't pray. 
The prayerless Christian is no Christian at all. I'm not trying to frighten you into praying. You shouldn't pray because you're frightened not to do it and what might happen to you if you don't do it. You should do it out of love. And you can do it out of love if you remember that there is a man who has met the high standards of God's words. Even the man Jesus Christ. He prayed on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. He prayed without ceasing. He stayed up all night to pray. He, he got up early to pray. He prayed in the Spirit. He prayed even when He was suffering the wrath of God on the cross. He was a man of perfect prayer. And His perfect record in prayer belongs to each of you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. By His death, He has not only atoned for the guilt of your prayerlessness, He has also supplied you with a perfect record of prayer so that when God looks at you, He doesn't see the lack of prayer in your life. He sees the perfect prayers of Jesus Christ. And and any feeble prayer that you do offer now is sanctified through Jesus Christ. We offer our lives now to Him through Christ. And Christ makes our prayers acceptable to Him. And so out of love for what Christ has done for us to atone for our lack of prayerlessness and and to supply us with perfect righteousness with respect to prayer as well as all other uh, requirements of the law, out of love for Christ, we now strive to become like Christ and and be a, a praying people. We pray out of love for God. We pray out of love for Christ and what Christ has done for us. It's a duty. It's a requirement. A requirement that if we don't do, there is hell, literally, to pay. That's one reason why we ought to pray. We ought to pray because God requires it. But we also ought to pray because, as the Catechism says, God gives His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for His good gifts and thank Him for them. Now, this is not referring to... uh, Uh, regenerating grace that God gives to us uh, when we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, That does not come to us in answer to uh, prayers in Christ's name. Uh, Prayers in Christ's name are the result of that. But every, every grace and every good gift after regenerating grace, all sanctifying graces, come to us in answer to prayer. Jesus says, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. And the Apostle James says in chapter 4 verse 2, You do not have because you do not ask. You know, God uh, is like a, a loving parent who disciplines a child by letting the child do without until that child learns to ask. Calvin, uh, John Calvin said, God gives us all things freely. God, who gives us all things freely, teaches us to exercise our faith. And any who lack what is necessary because they do not pray are, are justly punished through their need for their laziness. If you're lazy and you have needs and those needs go unmet, uh, the, the unmet need, the fact that you don't get what you want, is your punishment for your laziness, says Calvin. And, and by that means, God uh, 
lovingly disciplines us to teach us. We need to ask for what we get. Now, some people struggle with this. If God is sovereign and God has everything planned and nothing can happen apart from his will, uh, how does prayer fit into that? Does, does prayer change things? Do you, do you have that plaque in your home, prayer changes things? I, I do. <laughs> I inherited it. And uh, it hangs in my study, prayer changes things. Uh, how, how do we reconcile that with, with the sovereignty of God? Well, we reconcile it with the sovereignty of God in that God has decreed that he will bless us in answer to our prayers. And so the prayers are part of what he has decreed as well. Let me show you how this works from some examples from Scripture. In Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 36 to 38, uh, God is uh, saying that he will restore Israel. This is when Israel is in Babylonian captivity. And uh, he speaks about the restoration here in the past tense, even though it hasn't happened yet, because it's so certain. And he says, uh, Ezekiel 36, Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Then he goes on to say, Thus says the Lord, This also I will let the house of Israel ask of me to do for them. This also, I will let the house of Israel ask me to do this for them. So he has decreed to restore Israel, and he has decreed that Israel is going to ask him to do this. So he's going to do it, and he's going to do it in answer to their prayers, which he has decreed they will pray. We find the same kind of thing in Jeremiah 29, where thus says the Lord, When the 70 years are completed, that's the 70 year captivity in Babylon. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to this place from which I have sent you into exile. He's saying in 70 years, after 70 years of the captivity, I'm going to restore. And I'm going to restore because you're going to seek me. You're going to seek me out and you're going to find me. And when you find me, I will restore you. So prayer brings about, it is the, the instrument through which God's decree of restoration is fulfilled. Daniel understood that. And in Daniel chapter 9, uh, we, uh, we can read Daniel. Uh, he, he understood from, from uh, Jeremiah that the 70 years, the, the captivity would last 70 years and Daniel starts counting the years on his fingers, and yeah, it's 70 years. And so he starts praying, or maybe it's 69 and a half years, and, and he starts praying for the restoration of Israel. And indeed, uh, the uh, uh, king, the Medo-Persian king, uh, gave the decree for Israel to go back in answer to Daniel's prayers, which God said he would do in answer to their prayers. So uh, uh, David is, is the same way. Uh, there's a 
uh, an exchange you may remember from 2 Samuel between David and the prophet Nathan. Uh, there's a lot of uh, pro- uh, some very memorable exchanges, but one exchange was this, that David went to Nathan and said, I want to build a temple for God. And Nathan said, God is with you. Do whatever's in your heart to do for him. Uh, but then the next day, uh, Nathan came back and had to say, uh, I, uh, I spoke too soon. God came to me and said, David, you're not the one to build a temple for me. Uh, your son is going to build the temple for me. But then Nathan went on to say that God had a promise for David. Instead of David building a house for the Lord, God said through Nathan to David, David, I will build your house. I will build your house, David's house. And, and what that is referring to is that God will bless the royal line of David, David's family, so that David would always have an heir sitting on the throne. And uh, when David uh, hears that promise, he is overwhelmed and he begins to pray. And he says, And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house as you do and do as you have spoken. God has just promised it to him. And he starts praying that God would fulfill what he has promised. And God has fulfilled. David does have an heir sitting on the throne of David, the throne of David which is now in heaven. The the throne that was on earth was was a a symbol of the true throne of David, uh, the true throne of the kingdom of God in heaven. And and David's descendant, Jesus Christ, is now on that throne in fulfillment of both the promise and in answer to prayer. So when, when God makes His promises to us and says, these are the things that I will do for you, if you want to experience them, then you have to pray. Now, we don't know what... God uh, has in store for each one of us individually. Uh, there's lots of providential events that we can pray about, and and uh, uh, we don't know whether God is going to do them or not, and so we always have to pray as Jesus prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. But we do know this, that if we want the things that God has promised, we need to pray for them. Uh, some uh, cynic might say, well, if we... Uh, If we don't pray, can we make God look bad? (laughs) Because uh, He won't be able to fulfill what He has decreed because we refuse to ask for it. Well, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Remember what Mordecai said to Esther when Esther was reluctant to go into her husband and and plead for the Jewish people who were under edict to die. Uh, Mordecai said, If you... If you don't go, deliverance will come for God's people, but you will perish. Deliverance will come for God's people, but if you don't intercede with the king, if you don't pray, you will perish. And that's true still today. God has promised wonderful blessings, and if you want to experience those blessings, You need to pray for them. That's part of God's way of fulfilling His promises to you. That is why we should pray. We should pray because it's it's required. And we should pray because prayer is the instrument through God 
through which God fulfills His purpose for our lives. Well, how can we pray in an effective way? Uh, there are prayers that God isn't interested in listening to. Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. Now, of course, God is omniscient and He knows what everybody says and thinks all the time, including wicked people. But uh, hearing prayers means uh, taking them uh, to heart and uh, blessing those who come to Him in prayer. He doesn't do that for the wicked. And so we, we want to pray the right way. We want to pray in such a way that uh, we will be heard. How do we do that? Well, the Catechism reminds us that we need to pray to the true God who has revealed Himself in His Word, not to false gods and uh, not to saints. He's a sovereign God. He's a holy God who is merciful to the repentant. He's not some uh, heavenly uh, errand boy uh, or uh, uh, heavenly uh, concierge service whose function it is to uh, cater to all our whims and fancies. Uh, he's a God who is uh, great and high and lifted up. He has uh, condescended to come near, but uh, we need to stand in awe of Him always. We need to pray from the heart, uh, out of love, not out of fear, with sincerity and without hypocrisy, meaning what uh, we say. Don't think you will be heard for your many words or for reciting prayers, the words of which you aren't even thinking about, but uh, just uh, memorize prayers that roll off your lips without any thought. Uh, uh, that's not praying sincerely and from the heart. And we must pray for the things that, that God commands us to pray for. Uh, John uh, 14, uh, there's a beautiful promise. Uh, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, what does that mean? You know, there are some people who uh, I, I sometimes see uh, television preachers uh, who uh, make th- three claims on God and think that because they make those three claims, God is obligated to give them what they ask for. Uh, The one claim is, uh, God, we have agreed together to ask this of you. Because there's a verse that says if uh, two of you agree uh, and present it to God, God will do it. And so uh, the the preacher says, we've agreed, God, so you have to do it. And uh, then there are those who uh, uh, go to the verse that says, if you pray believing, you will receive what you ask for. And, and so the preacher says to God, God, we believe that you will do this. And because we believe it, you have to do it. And then there is that promise in John 14. If you pray in my name, God, we just said your name. We just said your name, so we're praying in your name, so you have to do it. They, they approach prayer the way Harry Potter approaches his uh, incantations. You know, if you say it the right way, then you you control the powers. There's these powers out there, and uh, we can control them through our speech. Uh, that's what uh, Harry Potter magic is all about. You know, uh, uh, human beings controlling the powers. And there are television preachers who who pray that way. Well, that's not how we ought to approach prayer. Take, for example, just the last thing, praying in, in my name, Jesus says. What does it mean to pray in my name? Well, what, what is Christ's name? Well, his name is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. His name is Emmanuel. His name is Good Shepherd. His name is Alpha and Omega. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. He has a whole list of names. And, and what do those names do? Well, they, they reveal who He is. They tell us who He is. And, you know, the whole Bible is a revelation 
of who God is. The whole Bible names God because the whole Bible tells us uh, who He is. And so praying in His name means praying in accordance with who He is and and what His will is. And, And that's made explicit in 1 John 5. He says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that we ask anything according to His will. He hears us. According to His will and in His name are synonymous kinds of expressions. His name explains who He is and what His will is. And so John makes it explicit in his epistle that we pray according to His will, according to what He has taught us to ask for. And uh, that is uh, summarized for us in that that Lord's Prayer, the beautiful Lord's Prayer, which uh, in God's providence, when uh, you as a congregation come to look at these latter um, Lord's Days, we'll, we'll hear an exposition of uh, these are the things that we ought to pray for. We approach God uh, humbly, acknowledging our sin, acknowledging uh, that uh, we have brought uh, much misery upon ourselves. Uh, we're like uh, the, uh, the publican we heard about uh, recently, uh, who uh, dared not uh, lift his eyes to heaven, but uh, instead have mercy upon me, a sinner. Uh, the one who humbled himself, he's the one who went home justified. God says, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And Paul says, pray for me that I may Uh, open my mouth and preach the gospel that I may preach it boldly as I ought. In another place he asks, uh, pray that I may preach it clearly. He wants prayers for himself that uh, he would preach it boldly and clearly and you should pray for those who preach to you that they would be bold and they would be clear. They they need your prayers and God, God, because uh, that's in the scripture is one of the things that we ought to pray. You can be sure that when you pray it, God will hear those prayers and answer them. And if you don't pray it, then God will withhold those blessings from you to teach you that you ought to pray for those things. Christ has atoned for our failures in prayer. Christ gives us a perfect record for prayer in God's sight. And Christ, out of love for him, inspires us to be like him and to keep on praying. May God give us such faith. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you command us to pray. And although your commands are daunting, we know that in Christ and through the Spirit you enable us more and more to become like Christ and uh, to uh, be a praying people. We pray that if we have uh, failed in any way, we would see our sin and turn from it, knowing that Christ has atoned for it, and move on in faith to seek to become more and more like him. O Lord, hear and answer our prayers, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.